Chloe Ryan, entrepreneur, acrylique robotique. At 19 years old, you start your company. At 23 years old today, your company is worth 7 million Canadian. You were doing abstract painting and mechanical engineering. And what happened? <laughs> It's quite the story. Uh, yeah, happy to get into it. So I, I started out as an independent artist. And, you know, I sold my first painting when I was 14, curated my first show when I was 17. And then I went, to, to went on to study mechanical engineering at McGill. And that was where the idea came to me that there might be a way to fuse the two and uh, build a painting robot. But why? Why did you need that? Why? So initially it started out was when I was working as an independent artist, it would take me three, four weeks to make a painting. I would make, you know, let's say maybe $300, $400 on each piece. That was what people around me were willing to pay. But I had multiple people who wanted the same piece. And it was always really frustrating that, you know, if I was able to sell 10 of these, I would make three or $4,000, which would be fantastic. But selling only to one person, I, I did the math and I went, oh my goodness, I'm actually only making, you know, three or $4 an hour, which was fine when I was a teenager doing this as a hobby. But... I started to think more about, you know, what is this actually going to look like if I'm trying to do this as a career, uh, as a full-time job? And I just said, I don't, I don't see how the math ever makes sense. And so that's how it started. Uh, happy to dive into the mission of the, of the company now, but, but that's a little bit about the origin story. So you were doing abstract art as painting. What kind of abstract? What was, what was it that everybody wanted always <laughs> to the same painting? What was it? I loved, I loved, it wasn't always abstract. I also loved, loved portraits and whatnot. The types of paintings that people always wanted were either commission works of art. So they want something specific, you know, paint this portrait of me uh, in this particular style, even if it wasn't mine, which isn't always the, the most fun project, right? But people will pay for it. And then the other one that I sold a lot was, was abstract artwork, cityscapes, you know, color blocked pieces, Uh, large scale, that was the kind of thing that, that I found a lot of demand for, that people would say, I want that, like I want that exact same thing. And, you know, as an artist, it's not always very exciting to be doing the same thing you over and over again. The same thing. Exactly, yeah. And your family, are they all entrepreneur? Uh, my... I make a lot of sense when I when I look in context to them. My my dad's an engineer and my mother is a writer who owns her own uh, who owns her own company, entrepreneur. So I've got the entrepreneurial, the artistic, and uh, and the engineering roots, which definitely informed the lens through which I see everything. So at 14 years old, you were already an entrepreneur and you were already selling your art, mm -hmm. and you decide to go to university and you did Miguel. At Miguel, you knew already that you want to have a a robot. No, definitely not. Uh, I had I had always had entrepreneurial tendencies. I uh, I actually I started my first company when I was nine, <laughs> which was before I started selling my artwork. Where was it? It's it's a bit silly now, but I I built a like a toy brand. I called them Puffles. They were these little pom pom toys that I would draw these personalities and descriptions for, build them. Uh, I ended up, you know, every recess in the schoolyard, I would have a little manufacturing line of, of my friends, uh, you know, other eight, nine, ten year olds <laughs> building these toys. I would sell them. Uh, I made, you know, a few hundred dollars, which is not actually that much. But at the time I felt rich uh, and then yeah. I, you know, I had a little furniture line for them. So anyways, that was the that was the first experience of 
of, you know, I can create something that people want and sell it. And it's a, it's an addictive feeling. So as an entrepreneur, your family or your parents must have saw right away, this one's going to go far in life. They were not <laughs> wrong. What was the response when you told them, okay, I'm going to build a robot who's going to recreate heart like if I did paint it? Mixed responses. I think a lot of people at the beginning, I mean, not just my parents, I'm generalizing to the other people that I that I pitched the idea to. There was a lot of cute, like, good idea, wow, but, like, Are it's never going to work. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of, like, that, you know, that's a cool idea, mm -hmm. have fun trying mm -hmm. it. Uh, it's a cool side project, but I don't actually think that you're going to be able to build that technology. You, you know that if you want to be successful, you want to know if it works. Don't ask the people around you because they will destroy <laughs> your ID by fear. Yeah. At any moment you had fear? Oh, yeah. Yes and no. I think there's definitely there's definitely fear of failure. And every new risk that I take is, is a bigger and bigger risk. That's how it works. And so there's always a bit of fear. But I don't know. I, I have always had a bit of a... I'm just... I'm very bold. And I, I'm not... I guess I'm not scared of that fear, if that makes sense. Like I've Not learned, anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it also felt like, what do I have to lose? You know? Nothing. Uh, nothing, really. I'm young. I've got... Uh, I'm young, and these are my two interests. I love engineering, and I love art. And anyways, and it was also a mission that I cared about. So, yeah, there was some fear, but it was never something that, that stopped me. So when you went to University of Miguel, and you got your approval to build mm -hmm. your project... Did you think, oh, I'm going like, to make a lot of money? Or it was <laughs> off passion? Was it passion or the money who made you do it? Definitely passion. That's changed. Like now, you know, I can, we, we launched our first collection. We'll get into that later. And I can see, okay, wow, this is actually. This Good could, money. This, yeah, it can, it's it can okay. work. But, uh, but at the beginning, it was definitely, this is, this is something that I am academically interested in like I'm fascinated by the intersection of art and engineering and then also passionate about how can I build this thing that I would have liked as an artist and make artists lives better and also make art more accessible that's something that I really care about like I always found it I've always found it silly how you need to have thousands and thousands of dollars of disposable income to be able to decorate your walls if not you just leave them blank I, I didn't it's a problem that I am passionate about and thus you know, I think that's that's a lot of what's driven me the past few years. Was it difficult to get to term with what you wanted that Miguel gave you? Or it was easy to make your dream come true and it was your way or no way? Did you have to negotiate with them? Um, I mean, I never had to negotiate with Miguel specifically. Uh, they, I, I pitched it to, uh, to the Miguel Engineering Uh, startup center and they gave me our first little starter check so that was that was how we got started uh, but after that I mean yeah not not necessarily negotiation but it's definitely a matter of pitching your idea over and over and over and over again <laughs> hearing no a bunch of times sometimes it being a yes uh, and that's definitely been a taxing experience that I've had to learn how to overcome is just hearing no day in and day out over and over again and somehow, you know, maintaining your conviction in your idea. Because I'm sure by listening to what you say, I have a lot of you in me. <laughs> I <Okay>. see it. <laughs> um, no doesn't go very well. No. Rejection doesn't no. work. 
And if the door is open or the door is closed, doesn't make any change. You're going to go through it. Mm -hmm. How do you stay focused on what you wanted when they were saying no to you? Now they regret it, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just you have to you have to believe in your idea and have a vision for for how it will work. And I mean, because the, the other tricky part is, you know, they could also have been right. Like most people who I talked 50, to at the beginning, 50-50, or I would argue probably more likely statistically that, that they were right. Like nobody had ever built a robot that could replicate human brushstrokes before, you know, in this way. And I had no idea that it work, would work either. And I think that's another part of the tricky thing is I would be pitching and I'd be explaining how the technology might work. And they were saying, why should I believe you? You know, you are a 20-year-old, second-year, third-year third year engineering student. <laughs> like, what credibility do you have? So, um, and and yeah, I didn't really have any credibility. I just but had you have a conviction. Belief, conviction, yeah. a belief, and a passion that that will take yeah. whatever you had to do it and make it happen. So when is this turn came, like, everything was positive and you, they give you the good to go? What, what happened that day? That day, do you that, remember when they say to you or you receive that say, okay, now you got the ball, let's roll it? Yeah, it was during COVID. Oh. Yeah, so, so we started during COVID. Uh, I came up with the idea uh, pre-COVID, but, but yeah, we got that first, that first check, from, uh, check from McGill, which, you know, by, I say check, it sounds like a lot. It was $2,000, so. <laughs> well, it was the first one. It was the first one. The and first it was, one it was that an you receive yeah. for something that you want to happen. Exactly. That was a kick in the butt of, okay, let's actually, let's actually make this happen. My, uh, the, the, the woman who I started the company with, my original co-founder, eventually left her job. She was working at a robotics company. So that was an example of, okay, you know, we've, we've gotten this first, uh, this first check and somebody believes in us. Let's, uh, let's make this happen. And we hired immediately that same day, another one of our friends in, in mechanical engineering. And we just started to build a robot. Where? Uh, at, in downtown Montreal, out of our apartments, there was, McGill was closed. All of the workshops and, you know, machine shops and stuff like that were closed. So we spent, I think, you know, three or four hundred of that 2000 on buying a 3D printer so that we could build everything, you know, from our apartments downtown and... And be scared. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know if it's going to happen because COVID yeah. is here. Yeah, that as well. That as well. We were... Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time, like sawing wood off of balconies because <laughs> everything was closed. And you're not allowed to go outside, but you're doing yeah, it exactly. anyway. <laughs> exactly. But I honestly do think that that helped. Like we had a ton of time. focus time where we couldn't be doing anything else anyways. So why not, you know, sit in our sit in our apartments and just build and hack away at the So robot. now you start to spend that money you build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there any way or any time during this period that you thought, oh, we're going to miss money. What are we going to do? Yes. And I think that's part of the journey of being an entrepreneur through and through. We, <laughs> we... Uh, You're laughing now, but I'm, I'm sure you didn't <laughs> laugh at that time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not laughing at that time. So we had this plan of, okay, we're going to take the summer. So we, we got the $2,000 beginning of the summer. We had four months. And we said, let's build this robot. By July, we'll start making paintings with it. We'll launch in August. And then uh, we're rich. We're gonna be rich. It's gonna be amazing. We'll we'll start working with other artists, and uh, <laughs> we got to August, 
and we switch on the robot that we'd be building and nothing happens. No. Nothing. <laughs> you know, we, we we hadn't done the wiring right. We Because you didn't know or because something went wrong? Or? We, were, we were a bunch of mechanical engineering students. Uh, we were working with random parts ordered off Amazon, cobbled together without really any external support system, trying to build a pretty complicated, very large robot with only $2,000. So we were buying the cheapest parts and stuff like that. I'm not surprised it didn't work. <laughs> um, and and we also then realized, and, and actually, and from day one, we were like, let's get the marketing started. We, we built an Instagram. We ended up by the end of the summer with about 2,000 followers. And in every single post, you can look back at our Instagram. <laughs> Underneath, we would say launching September, I think, yeah, September 2021. 2020 even. Launching September 2020. So four months from we when we got the first check, <laughs> September 2020 came and we had no robot. We had not validated the market. We had not gotten any clients, etc. So anyways, I guess to summarize all that, we did exactly what a lot of engineering students do, which is go, oh my goodness, this technology is so cool. Let me spend all my money and build it. And we did not think about <laughs> the actual commercialization path and stuff like that. So that was the beginning of the rest of the journey. The commercial path is very expensive. It's expensive. It's something that I've learned. Again, I started this out and I said, we can build this for, you know, not very much money. Like, let's get things rolling. And it's been a big wake up call of it takes money to make money. Like you need that upfront investment, especially when you're building something that's expensive to build. How much does it cost a robot today? Now that it's working in yeah. 2023 and you do, because now we can prove that you worth $7 million, <laughs> well, your company. Uh, I mean... How much does it cost to build a robot? So now we buy them. So this one is about twenty thousand. We've got really big ones. What's his name? Uh, this one's this one is it's a it's a Mechademic five hundred. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we've got big ones in our studio that are more like forty fifty thousand to build and to deliver to the client. Exactly. Well, so we buy them from robotics companies. We use them to make art. We don't actually sell the robots to artists. Oh yeah, that was another that was another uh, another wake up call of we were like oh we'll build these robots and you know my sell artist them friends. on Amazon yeah yeah no. sure well I, I I you know I then I got a few business mentors who said okay step one in starting a company is go talk to your clients like go meet with some artists what and do they need exactly and I pitched this idea to artists and every single artist was like. I barely make enough money to put food on the table. I can't go, I'm not going to be buying a $20,000 robot from you. So that was a, a, you know, we said, okay, so let's think about what other business models we can do. So that's how we have our current business model, which is, uh, you know, manufacturing as a service. So artists don't pay anything. They only make money when their paintings sell. So let me explain. They rent <laughs> this, they, they rent it from you or you lend it to them and they create painting. As you can see, we have one now from Matt Chesco, who was previously on our show. So Matt didn't create that. So so how it works, and yeah, I guess uh, we've, uh, I haven't even explained what the company does. <laughs> so we're trying to build the world's first way to make painted artwork at scale. So how it works is artists design their pieces digitally on a tablet. Yes. So if you've ever used Adobe Illustrator or even MS Paint or some form of digital drawing software, we use technologies like that. And then once they're finished their piece, 
they send it to us and we've built the software to extract all kinds of data about how their their pencil or their stylus moved on the tablet, the pressure they applied, the colors like they used. Like if it was their real hand. Exactly. Like as if it was their real hand. And then we say, hey, robot, do those strokes. And then we've got our little robot here or our big robot in the studio that recreates each of those strokes layer by layer. So so this piece, for example, was created by artist Matt Chesko, who I know you've already had on the show. Yes. Uh, it was amazing working with him. So uh, he, this is a 16,000 breaststroke painting. And he did all of the 16,000 breaststrokes on his tablet first. And then we redid them with the robot. It's actually dipping in paint colors and redoing the strokes. Like this and the bigger one version, exactly. I imagine you did it. Yeah. And you go and pick the paint and do it right here. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we've got all the paint colors. You know, we've got, uh, again, this is just a little demo setup, yes. but the robot goes and dips in the paint in the paint cups. It'll wash its, it'll wash its brush. It'll dry itself and then, in, you know, execute the painting. So you will program the robot to do it. Exactly. The biggest robot <laughs> is how big? Robots get really big, but they get really expensive. Our biggest robot is... Uh, it's big enough to paint that, if that gives you an idea. It's probably about me from the waist up, you know, big long arm. Um, so small robot, small painting, bigger painting. Exactly. Big. Who's your customer today? Artists and art buyers. So it's artists who use the technology to create the artwork, but then the money comes from people buying the art. So, you know, Matt Chesko launched this went viral i think he got like six million views on yes. one video it was yeah. great and then he has buyers who who he's already cultivated his network they buy one of the 10 replicas in this case and then we split that with the artist how many can they make like do you have a preset say because we don't want it to be everywhere in the world we yep. want exclusivity exactly so what's the minimum or the maximum you want to repaint it really depends on the artist and how they want to curate that collection. So, but you're completely right in that that's a really important part of what we do is everything is limited edition. So what that means is, for example, Matt picked 10. Once we make 10, that's it, that's all. We will never make any more. And because we... Depends own. on the price. If we ask you two million, maybe you will. <laughs> and Matt well, too. <laughs> I guess that gets into the ethics uh, of it. Exactly. <laughs> you will bend the rules. But uh, goal being, I mean, yeah, idea is, is once we hit that cap, that's it. That's all. And that's very different from how prints work is, I mean, a lot of prints are also limited edition lithographs or whatnot. But, uh, but the challenge nowadays is, you know, anybody can walk into a gallery, take a photo of Matt's work, make a bunch of prints of it, say that yeah. they're by the artist. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you manage authenticity? But how do you know what to choose? Because for an artist who is not making so much, mm -hmm. we're not talking Matt here. We're talking yeah. the starter or the one who didn't have the opportunity. Artist. Yeah, you yeah. know, they can print it and make so much money with one printing. <laughs> Why would they choose your robot to do it? You mean you mean making photo prints? Yes. Yeah. Instead, you know, making right. a photo print and and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and use the robot and just make 10 limited edition mm. instead of just go and print it and make 5 million. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? What's the difference? Yeah, it's an important question. Uh, biggest difference is the fact that this is made with actual paint. Okay. So, you know, if you're looking at an original work of art hanging in a gallery where you can see the depth and the translucence of the paint colors, the way that they mixed, and you can actually get 
I mean, it, it, there's a certain essence of a piece. I describe it as the art's aura mm-hmm. <laughs> that's reflected when you can see that depth of pigment that you just do not have when you look at a flat photocopy. So there's, it's a quality piece. Are they as quality as the first original one that he will make with his hand? You think they're comparable? It depends how you look at it. It depends how you're evaluating it. Um, Because Matt made it. No matter what, Matt Chesko (laughs) painted, but on the tablet. And now we're there. In 2023, everything is, uh, it's not real anymore. Everything (laughs) is fake. You know what I mean? We can create and recreate everything. Yeah. Uh, Do you understand what I mean? Is it the same value? Some people will say, I'm not going to buy this because he didn't do it. But yes, he did. Yeah. It's a debate that we that gets thrown at us all the time. I think that it still holds much of the same value, although it's not the same. Like it will never be the same as something that an artist spent 40 hours laboring over. There's a reason why those artworks are so expensive. Deservedly, it makes sense. But I think that like what we're trying to to capitalize on and the opportunity I see is that you've got those uh, handmade originals that are going to be priced, you know, five, ten thousand plus dollars. And you have the Ikea style prints yes. that just there. There's missing some life there. And there's a whole middle ground of art that just does not exist. And that's what we're trying to build. So it's maybe not as high quality or it doesn't have the same vibe, vibe or feeling as if it's the one of one original. But it's the one that everybody can mostly afford. Exactly. Yeah. So like the original, it might be better, but... If if you can't spend forty thousand dollars on it, it doesn't matter if it's ten twenty percent better yeah. because it's just it's I just agree. not in your price range. I agree. Are you still painting? Yes and no. So for the for the whole first two ish years of the company, basically every artwork that the robot ever made was mine. So that was honestly where I channeled a lot of my creative energy, and I'm working on a collection of my art now that will launch uh, launch soon. That'll be that'll be painted by the robot. So. I guess it's not literal painting, it's me digital painting for the robot, but I'm still I'm still working. Although I do find and I mean maybe you feel the same that entrepreneur entrepreneurship is super creative. You have to be. Oh, you have to be you super have creative. You have to be the one who's like to live on the high all the time. You mm-hmm. don't sleep, you like to be scared, <laughs> you like to challenge yourself, you have to be a nerd. Yeah. Uh, marketing industry, you have to be a secretary, you have to be everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you have to stay positive. Yeah. And don't listen to the other. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Because they will bully you, stop you by their own fear. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Your first client, the My first, first client. <laughs> big check. Okay. Was who? Uh, was Matt, was Matt Chesko's collection. He's actually. the rich one. <laughs> yeah. That was the first collection we ever launched uh, this summer. And yeah, set the scene for a lot more. Uh, we... For a long time, we'd be making these little pieces, like yeah. testers, yeah. doing our beta testing process, etc. This was the first collection, large scale, ready for sale. And the art, I think, was was really great. So that was a big wow moment. And it was somebody who bought it? Yeah. Yeah. It. Uh, I mean, yeah, it went viral. And I, I think the first five sold out in like an hour. Really? So, so no. And, and we've got some, well, they're all hanging up in homes now, which is pretty exciting. I've gotten a few, a few photos which is a very cool feeling. You say your your company is worth $7 million today. Mm-hmm. How did you make this $7 million starting by $2,000? You know what I mean? Now, if you look back, it was not that far. It was in <laughs> 2020. So what made you 
build your team, change location. I'm sure you're not doing this in your house anymore. Like, how did you, as this affect your success? How did you manage to stay who you are through to yourself and keep going, knowing that you were successful? You could stop tomorrow morning now and sell your, your ID. You know what hmm. I mean? Yes and no. I think, I mean, we, we have definitely found a fair bit of success in that it works finally. And we've started to work with major artists like Matt Chesko, but we definitely are not a, you know, a stable running enterprise where I could just up and leave. We've got quite a bit more work to do to get to that point. And that's, that's a big part of what drives me. Um, yeah. And, and following through, like, I think there's a ton of potential here and I, I mean, I can, I can chat about what that big picture vision is, but uh, yeah, it's a matter of, of executing now and following through on on all of that. How do you keep growing your company? How do I keep growing my company? In what sense? Well, to make sure it's up to date and you have enough staff and ideas that keep coming. And hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of put one foot in front of the other type thing. And this, the objective has always been the same is build technology that works. We've proven that it works at a small scale. Now we need to build out, you know, a, a small manufacturing facility with lots of robots and then start getting artists in the door, start getting artist projects in the door. And yeah, so I, I mean, we've got a pretty extensive roadmap for the next 18 months is usually the furthest I try and, uh, I try and roadmap out. And we just, yeah, every day we, hit, we uh, keep trying to hit those milestones. So you, you're not, you're somebody who have a map. Oh, yes. You're not a spontaneous <laughs> artist type because you have both. So yeah. I, I'm not, I was like, is she artist? Let's go with the flow. We jump in. Yeah. Or she plan everything to the detail because you have a nerd side of you. I do have a nerd side And it's as a well. good thing. But you're also an artist mm -hmm. who decided to go both hats. Yeah. So how do you... How do you plan everything but still be easy go? Yeah. And I definitely I definitely have both sides of the brain. People like I, I am I am a very spontaneous person, but I think I think you have to mix spontaneity with good planning. In that, you know, it's not just me as an artist by myself making the art that I want to make. I've got staff, I've How got many office people space. We're six now. Uh we're six and and, you know, for example, investors and whatnot who are looking for that type of 18-month roadmap. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of being spontaneous and open to new opportunities, excited to, you know, and continuously coming up with new ideas and whatnot, but also committed to a track. And I think, honestly, part of what helps me is having a team that's a little bit more structured. I tend to be the very big idea or rah, 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 let's, let's go full tilt on this new thing. And I think it helps to have advisors <laughs> and other team members who are like, okay, no, here's our roadmap. How can we fit this in and who structure Who controls it? you with this roadmap? Like, I mean, who do you go to when you feel that you're losing it to your big ideas? <laughs> I've, uh, I've got a COO, Kyle, who's fantastic. He's, his background is more in, in, you know, business, finance, et cetera. So he helps make sure that we stay on track and on budget. Because I bring the art and the engineering, but I didn't come into the company with a background in, in finance and, and business per se. Uh, and a team of advisors who... How did you choose this team? Uh, of advisors or my, my Both staff? Both of them, your staff. And you. How did you do that? You who knows that you didn't have the tools. Because being yeah. a good entrepreneur is also equip yourself with 
the best team that we don't have in mm-hmm. us. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I agree to understand and be humble enough to know that we don't have that financial thing. We just <laughs> want to see big and be already on top of uh, Japan doing yep. some hard. Yeah. So how did you choose these people who will fit with you and understand who you are? I think I think it's an it's an exercise of self-awareness almost of you know what are what are the things that I love doing like what brings me energy and what am I good at so um I mean yeah that's kind of how I've done it and I think that that's one of the joys of starting your own company is that unlike you know if you get hired at a job there's a pretty specific thing you are set out to do stay there exactly <laughs> and I think part of what I love is that I get to go there's a million things I could be doing with my day let me pick the things that I'm good at and that I like and I, I like hire people to do the rest so I mean even like my COO for example uh he he joined on board pretty early on I had posted a few job postings for like marketing coordinators and graphic designers and stuff like that and he sent me a message saying you don't know that you need me, but you need a finance guy. <laughs> yes, you do. You do. <laughs> yeah, and I and I saw that email and I was like, who is so presumptuous to tell me that I need a finance guy? Like, let's, what does that let's mean? Let's hire him. <laughs> yeah, but and then I and I was like, I, probably, I think I probably trashed the email, but I, I thought about it a little longer and I was like, actually, he's he's right. I I do need a finance guy. Like, that's not something that I really like, and it's not something that I'm especially good at. Like, I can manage a budget, but so, anyways. And uh, and I brought him on, and it was uh, history ever since. So, how do you stay up to date in your industry? Uh, it's the another good question. A lot of like I, I, conferences are a big one. So you know, getting a getting a feel for who's who in the startup ecosystem, the new up and coming companies, and going to art events, for example, meeting with new artists and galleries, and. Also, just staying up to date online, like, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and whatnot. And uh, another big resource for me is just other founders. Like, I, I intentionally set aside a certain portion of hours every week to meet with other founders and to hear about, you know, what are the best practices, even like the basic things. Like, how are you managing your emails? Do you have you any have you found any new softwares lately? And that's the kind of thing that I have found really helpful for that. Do you think robot will take place of you been <laughs> I had a feeling we would get to this I've got yes so we can all relax <laughs> and have champagne by the pool and let them uh, let them deliver it do anything they yeah. want for us well being uh, us without us being there funny funny little story about that uh, one of the other robots that I built for acrylic was intended to be a robot that would help with paint mixing. So we would load in a bunch of paint colors and, you know, automatically mix them and stuff like that. And we ended up not needing it for a little while. And its use case became making cocktails at our office parties. <laughs> Could you send him over, please? Edit yeah, it, please. yes. That'll be, you know, $50,000. But <laughs> okay. But you should, you should advertise this for parties. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Come on. What are you doing, Chloe? You're sleeping. (laughs) They were like, if acrylic ever doesn't work out. No, but you could still. (laughs) This is my question. Can we use your robot for other purpose? Let's say Hmm. cocktail, mixing cocktail, or let's say we have an event and it's a robot who's serving you, who's going around with a tray. (laughs) We see them in a restaurant now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's typically two different types of robotics companies, either companies that are making general purpose robots. 
So another word for that is humanoid robotics companies, like human-like, where they are able to do a wide variety of tasks. Those robots you could hire to paint and to make cocktails. They're not going to be very good at painting, and they're not going to be very good at cocktails yet. Again, one day (laughs) will probably be different, but they will be able to do a variety of things. This type of, of robotic whole system and technology is not general purpose. It is super specific to painting. So we could eventually branch into other things that look like painting. For example... You know, other art forms like sketching. You already know what you're going to do. So what are you going to do next? <laughs> Let me ask you because I know you already okay. thought about it. What is it going to be your next one beside painting? Hmm. I mean, I do think that humanoid robotics as a field is really interesting. Like I always told myself, if I, you know, scientifically speaking, this is not actually how it works, but I always thought to myself, if I can build a robot that can do something as complex and delicate and nuanced yeah. as painting. Mm-hmm. To me, that felt like it's one of the most human skills, both physically, like getting robots to do really precise things is really hard, but also conceptually is, you know, I think that art is a big part of what makes us human. And it's definitely like it changes things if we are able to have a robot take on some of that and and do that. So anyways, I, I'm, I am interested in humanoid robotics and generally speaking as a field and maybe other ways to to link robots with other creative fields and like stuff you like say that. sculpture before yeah sculpture would be cool i mean i'm i'm not personally a sculptor so i would want to bring someone on who has got that background but that could be an interesting avenue or robots doing something else entirely like there are so many ways that i think robots can be programmed and and set up to benefit humanity mm-hmm. and yeah i'd love to see i'd love to get into other industries besides just fine art after this what risk were you willing to take for your success I mean, basically, basically everything. I uh, I put like all my savings. It was not very much because I was a student, but I, I put them all into the company when we needed it. And I, you know, turned down a lot of other potential career paths and job opportunities and stuff like that. And even just the sacrifice of time, like it looks fancy, it looks exciting. I'm here on this podcast, but this is the result of three years of you I know understand. sacrifice of social we, things. You know, and, successful people, people. Mm-hmm. We when we see them, we're like, oh, he's got it easy, or yeah. she got it easy. Oh my God, she has all this money and everything. But you know, from the time you start to where you got, yeah. If you will give this challenge to some people, they will kill themselves. They will not live through it because they're not built for that. It's Mm -hmm. easy to say to someone, I want your success. I want to be who you are. But they forget to understand where you have to go first to get there. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. your success change your life in a different way? I mean, it's 100%. It's changed my life. I I would less so than... I would say it's it's changed me more than oh. it's changed my life yet. Uh, just the way that I see the world and the risks that I'm willing to take and the things that feel possible. Like, I remember when I first started the company, still in the early days, small things felt very hard. Yeah. And the things that I thought I could do or I could build were, I mean, again, they were still pretty ambitious, but but they were still capped. And I think that building this and finally seeing it working, again, there's a ton of risks still outstanding, but, uh, and, and who knows if we will end up finding more success or not, but, but the... Why are you saying that? 
I just think it's a it's important to be realistic. Nine out of ten startups fail, and you won't know. Like I, we are we are at a really delicate point between research and development phase and commercialization phase. We passed research and development green check mark. Now it's we're jumping into an absolute minefield of new challenges. Um, so What's the biggest one you think? Now that we're having this conversation, then if yeah. I ask you in five years, you're going to laugh at it because you're going to win through it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the biggest challenge is is now for us is finding what we call product market fit. So again, before it was validation of the core scientific principles, most people said it would never be possible to build a robot that can replicate these human well, brushstrokes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and now it's a matter of this is a product that the world has never seen. I'm not just replacing a product existing in the market. Mm -hmm. Like if I found... You're the first. I'm the first. Exactly. Let's say. I'm the first. And so it's still a question mark. Will artists love this, want to support it, want to use it? Uh, and will buyers care that it's made by the robot? Will they like that? How will they react to it? How big is the market? That's that's what I now need to figure out. <laughs> a big company comes along, mm -hmm. the state or in Europe, and say to you, I'm buying you out. Mm -hmm. Here's... $200 million, Yeah, but you're never allowed to create another robot or do anything in engineering. <laughs> What would you do? <laughs> Whew, that's a loaded question. I wouldn't want, if I buy you out, I wouldn't want you to stay capable to build something else because hmm. I'd be scared of you. Smart people, yeah. very smart entrepreneur, they let the other take the chance. And when they see it's about to grow, they buy mm -hmm. them out with a closure. Mm -hmm. You cannot do this, 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 and that. You yeah. have to start a new life. What would you do? <sighs> do you understand why I'm saying that? Because it's yeah. like you, the one who created. Yeah. I don't want you to be my competition. Yeah. So I buy you out. I mean, if it's just, an, if it's just a, uh, you can't build another acrylic, That's, you know, that's fine. I, I already built this. If it's that you can't build another company ever again, I think I would definitely have a problem with that. Like I've fallen in love with the the experience of being an so entrepreneur. So you would not accept it? I would I would want to sit down and learn more about what they mean by I can't build something again. You can't. You just can't. They don't want to. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to leave it as I okay. don't know. <laughs> so what's the other career you would have done? If you didn't do this, Whew. that's another good question. I I was super interested in renewable energy, sustainability. I always thought that I would start a company in that field, something that helped us solve climate change. Mm -hmm. I I still think that there's a chance I might veer back towards that route, but I, to be honest, in building this and in getting deeply embedded in the sort of robotics and AI ecosystems, I I feel as though artificial intelligence and advanced robotics is arguably equally, if not greater, of a threat to humanity if it's not built and managed properly. And thus, I may end, I, I think I may end up staying uh, building in these fields. We'll see. But yeah, it might have probably would have been something in there. My my first internship at, uh, in, in engineering was in construction. So that would have been a totally different career path. Yeah. And five years from now, my last question, where are you? Five years from now. So five years from now, what that looks like is I would love to just see more art everywhere. 
I want to be able to walk into a studio like here and you've got art up on the walls. I want more people from different socioeconomic backgrounds who are not typical art investor collectors to be able to be buying art from artists that they love. I want artists to have an easier go at making a living without having to rely on the gallery system. Again, it's got its place, but uh, but I think the reliance is is often problematic. And so that's 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 the main goal. And you know, when you are shopping for art, you go, I can either buy a print, I can head to IKEA, I can buy an original artwork, but you know, 90% of the time in that whole 90% middle market, you'll go, I'm going to buy an artwork by acrylic. And that's just the default. It's like Kleenex. So that's that's the vision for acrylic. Uh, and then beyond that, in five years, hopefully I've brought that to market and I'm I'm working on the next big thing. It was a pleasure Thank to you. have you. <laughs> it was so quick. It was so intelligent. And I'm so greatly amazed by what you created. And I hope you have much more success and come back and talk to us. Thank you so much for Thank inviting you, me. Chloe. This was lovely. Thank you. <laughs>